My name's Tim, and I'm the senior pastor here at York Street. A number of years ago, I was driving my car, which I'd been tinkering with to make it better-ish. I pulled up at a set of traffic lights and noticed that there was a car around me somewhere that was not sounding healthy at all. There was a large ticking noise that sounded like it didn't belong in a car. I went on to the next set of traffic lights and thought, wow, that car must be somewhere around me because that's a really loud noise. That is a really unhealthy car. I've been driving for about 20 minutes at the time and and I got to the third set of traffic lights and realised that most of the cars around me had changed because now I'm taking notice and realised that sound is still there. I pulled my car off to the side of the road and took this video. This is what the car sounded like. That is not the sound that an engine should be making. That ticking noise wasn't an indication that the engine was running smoothly, that the engine was running well. And for those that are into cars, ask me when you see me next what exactly happened and what caused it. But I could hear that something was wrong. I could hear that the engine wasn't running the right way. I called some friends and I called a tow truck and I was able to drive the car onto the tow truck and we drove it off and and put it into the shed. And then I had to pull part of the engine apart, being a little bit mechanically minded, I, I dived into it and found this. This is a major part of your engine. It's called a piston. And I don't know if you can see, but this part here is meant to be straight. And it's really, really not. It's bent. It's completely warped. You'd say it's, it's actually totally distorted. And because of that, the ticking noise was the sides of this piece of equipment, this piece of machinery, ticking and scraping metal every time it went up. Tick, 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 tick. The sound was an indicator that something was distorted within the engine and the engine was still running. I'd been driving for 20 minutes to, to a half hour before I noticed the sound. And when I noticed it, I realized, hey, I could still drive this. But the risk is because one part of the engine is not operating properly. It may cause the entire engine to fall to pieces. The reason I'm able to hold this in my hand is that the journey ended up with me buying brand new versions of these and putting them in the car. And the car was able to run well once again. A distorted piece of equipment caused the engine to fail, not to run the way it was meant to run. Likewise, in our lives, there are times when we may be in our Christian walk and things are going really well, but there's something within us that isn't aligning with the image of God. Something has been distorted. And what we hear is a spiritual ticking sound. The sound of something that when somebody says to you, you know what, God loves you, you think, well, yes, he does love people. He loves that person and that person and that person. And you deflect rather than receiving that love. That there are times in life when somebody says something about God and you go, that can't be right. Or you read something in Scripture and you think, 
that doesn't quite align with my understanding of who God is. You see, when we have a distorted image of God, there's a ticking sound that doesn't align with Scripture. Today's message is a part of a series, and we're talking about how to identify the ticking sound that may be a distorted image of God. I'm not saying that your entire faith is falling apart, but there may be, as there was in my car, one part that needs a little bit of work in order for it to to run smoothly, for your image of God to be complete. Why is it so important that we identify the images of God and get the correct images of God? Well, the, the, the reason this is so vital, is so important, is that we hear time and time again people who have a distorted image of God and, and see how incredibly, incredibly to the very core of their faith, it, it disables them from accessing God the way that he wants to access us. For example... It was a lady that was in one of the churches that I was ministering to, an incredible woman of God. She, she was one of those, just the epitome of a Christian. She just loved people. She, her host, gift of hospitality was just, just un, unmatchable, unreachable, just such a kind, loving, giving person. Everybody in the church knew them. She, she, they knew her because she would go and spend time with them. She would care for them. If people were doing it tough, she would be giving them phone calls, giving them meals, just, just lavishing love. She was everything that we would want somebody who calls themselves a Christ follower to be. And I heard that somebody asked her this question in a conversation and said, do you believe that you are worthy of God's time? And immediately it created an emotional response and the lady's eyes filled with tears. And her answer was, what would I have done to deserve God's time? There was a ticking sound that something about this woman's image of God was wrong, that she has to please God in order to deserve his time. Possibly because of her relationship with with a her father or her parents, and the way that she was raised, she believed that she needed to do something in order for God to want to spend time with her rather than embracing that God deeply desires to spend time with us, so much so that he gave everything when he sent his son to die on the cross to restore that relationship, to have access to us. All he wants is to be able to spend time with us. It's so important that we get the distorted images of God identified so that we can work with them. This is the the second week of a four-part series. If you're joining us for the very first time today and you're watching this live, can I encourage you to watch last week's introduction to the series? And if you're not watching this live, can I encourage you to watch not only last week's but also the next two weeks that are about to come? If you're watching live next week, we start to talk about the biblical images of God and then the following week we talk about how do we take our image of God from where we are to where we need to be. This series, if you are watching this outside of the the live stream today, I'd encourage you to watch all four messages. It'll be one of the, the best hour and a halves you will ever spend as it reforms your understanding of who God is And if there is a ticking noise within your spiritual engine that needs alignment, it will be something that you'll be so grateful for for your rest of your earthly life 
in the way that you have a relationship with your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask as we open Scripture, as we start to, to dive into what bad images of God look like versus good images of God, I pray that we would see a loving picture of a loving God, one that doesn't want to manipulate, doesn't want to abuse, that stands for justice and just loves us so much that he gave everything. Lord, I pray that those who need to hear this message will receive it through your spirit with the love and grace and gentleness that it is given. In Jesus' name, amen. The Israelites in the Bible got the image of God wrong time and time again. There was a time where we read in the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 8 that we see they got the image of God totally wrong, so much so that they, they go to Samuel, who was the, the ambassador for God. He, he was sort of the, the person who shared God's words with his people. And they would go to, to Samuel, and Samuel would go to God, and, and God would tell Samuel what to say, and Samuel would then go back to the leaders. This is the Old Testament, before Jesus, before we had direct access to God. And it says this in verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Sam, Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old, and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, as, as all of the other nations have. Now, that sentence is so, so loaded. Number one, you're old. We don't want you anymore. You're old. You're on the way out. We, we, we want somebody else. Number two, you're a failure as a father. All of your kids aren't following your ways, so that's that. We're not going to follow them. Thirdly, hey, see what all the other nations are doing? They've got these kings. We want one of them. Can you give us one of them? And it's your job to do it. Wow. If you want to kill a dream, if you want to kill an expectation, if you want a false image of God, start to compare him, start to compare your dreams, start to compare that thing that you're passionate about with something else. It will kill the dream every single time. You start comparing your, your looks, your abilities, your passions to somebody else, it will kill the dream. And if you start comparing God to anything else, like God is perfection, God is so much greater than anything else, you start to compare him, you're going to start to limit God. And that's what they do. Samuel's pretty upset about this, and it says in verse 7, And the Lord told him, Listen to what all the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Or they, they have rejected me like as they have accepted the others and the other nations around them, that I should not reign over them. You see, they've got this different image. God is their king. They have direct access to God through Samuel. God was telling them what to do. God was telling them the, the, the right decisions and the right things. And all of a sudden, they get this distorted image of God saying, well, God's okay, but we want a person. Of course, if you get a person, what do you get? Well, you get failure. The only person that didn't fail was Jesus Christ. We all fail. I fail. You fail. Every leader that we've, we've ever known is human. Therefore, they have failures. And so what they started looking for, Israel starts looking for failures to lead them rather than perfection through God. 
And I wonder when it comes to us, if Israel's looking at others to get their understanding of who God is, I wonder if we do the same. So where do you look for your image of God? Where do you look? Maybe when we, we start to think of where we got our image of God, who God is, we probably look to our parents, we probably look to, to ministers or our, our church, we would look to, to media, friends, we might look to ourselves, we might look at through history, we, we may even look through our own personal experiences to find our image of God. And I want to say that every single one of those is great. They are great things, they are good things. But because they're not going directly to the source, there is a chance that in that there may be something that needs a little bit of a tune-up. It may be just a little bit distorted. So we've got to make sure that we go to God's Word and through His Spirit when we seek God's image. We'll talk about that more next week. I'm going to touch on a handful of images of God that can actually distort our understanding. And and what I want to do now is show you what happens when we get it wrong, and then I'm going to finish the message with some ways for us to move through that and identify the signals. I can't possibly go through all of the false images of God, all the distorted images of God now. There is hundreds of them. But I want to show some practical ones, tangible ones now, just to show you what happens if we get our images of God distorted. Now, by saying this, I'm not having a shot, and I want to, this is a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not picking on anybody, and I'm not picking on the way anyone was saved, especially with this next example. I want to say that, that people that were saved through this example that I'm about to share are absolutely saved. And, and the, those that preached God's word, preached with everything they have, and God loves them, God cares for them, and they were doing the best they had. This is no judgment on any of this. This is just saying, let's align this with Scripture and see what happens. For example, if you were born in the 60s or 70s or maybe the early 80s, there was a type of preaching that was around. It was the fire and brimstone teaching. And there's probably a few smiles sitting in living rooms right now. And people would, would be telling you that, that if you don't repent, you will go to hell. And they'll describe hell and they'll describe all the, the negative things that would take place with, if there is not God as, as a part of that, that existence. Now, I want to say, if I was preaching, if I was a pastor during that era, I probably would have been one of the fire and brimstone preachers. I love to preach. Uh, when, you know what I'm like when I preach. When I get passionate, I froth at the mouth. I, I knock microphones off. I sweat under my armpits. I, I get worked up. I love preaching. I love bringing God's Word. And if I was in that era, I definitely would have probably been one of those preachers. And so they are doing everything they have within their ability, the way they're trained. They are bringing God's Word with the equipment that they have, the tools that they have. They are preaching God's Word. People were saved. And if you were saved during that era, then you are absolutely saved through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are absolutely saved by the redemption through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. There's no judgment on the ministers. There's no judgment on the church. There's no judgment anywhere. This is just one of the effects that takes place if we seem to have this idea of God who maybe is angry or, or a God, an understanding of God that has fear in, involved at, a, at its very largest factor. The reason this can be a problem is 
that a number of years ago, fairly recently, I had a young guy come into the, my office and said, hey, I um, was watching YouTube and I saw a video on hell. And it did the job and I don't want to go there. And it, it scared me half to death. And I prayed a prayer and the very next day I woke up and I can't swear anymore and I don't know what's going on. I saw another video that said I needed to be baptised, so I want to be baptised. Incredible story. Was he saved? Absolutely. Did God show up in an incredible way? But his faith was based on doing actions to stop him from going to hell. His faith was based on a fear rather than being based on love and grace. You see when there's the ticking noise and all of a sudden his reasoning was a little bit off. Was he saved? Yes. Was he loved? Yes. Is he on the journey? Absolutely. I don't think I've met a guy recently that is so hungry for Scripture. Incredible man of God on this journey. Had the privilege of baptizing him. You see, when you read a passage like that, you may read another passage in the Bible and it, it, this affects everything. That's why it's worth diving into. You'd read a passage in John chapter 3 and verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of Jesus Christ and his only son. You can hear the tone. The condemnation message. You're condemned because you don't believe. And you, you would hear it with that tone and the fear that it evokes. And yes, there is fear, and yes, it's a tone, but if it's the dominant tone, you're missing part of the image of God. Because two verses earlier, the best-known verses in the entire of Scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave his one and only, one and only begotten son, his father's son, his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn, but to save the world. The passage goes on to say, hey, there's light and dark in the world. And, and, and the dark seems really attractive and people seem to like the dark, but, but there is light and there is love. Choose the light and love. God doesn't force it. He doesn't, doesn't, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force his way upon us. He just offers it freely. Revelation talks about a God that's standing at the door, just knocking, politely waiting for us to open the invitation. doesn't force his way in. Loving, loving God. For some parents, you know, we don't even mean to do what we do for our kids sometimes, and it has a, a huge effect on them. For example, and once again, I'm not criticizing our parenting. None of us know what we're doing, let's be honest. We're doing the best we can. We love our kids, but sometimes we make mistakes. And this is why it's important that we have some tools to be able to find our images of God, where they come from, so that we can alter them if we need to. As parents, I hear this story often, and I've been guilty of doing it myself. We want what's best for our children. And so they are about to hit a standard They almost get to that standard. You go, great. Hey, I want you to have a good life, a good education, to be good at whatever that that thing is. And so we're going to raise the bar a little bit so you can go 
bigger and better again. Good job. Let's, let's go better. Let's go better. Let's go better. Yep, good job. I love you. I want you to, to be successful in life. I want you to get a, a good partner and raise your kids well. And we start raising the bar because we love them and we love them and we love them. From a child's perspective, what do you hear? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And if that came from the Father and you start praying the prayer, our Father in heaven, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to make the bar. As hard as I try, I will never please you. Therefore, what's the point? A ticking noise should start sounding within your spiritual engine of something that's not right in that. Because we read... About in Psalms, Psalm 103, that he has made known his way to Moses, in verse 7, and his deeds to the people of Israel. So hang on. A God who is unattainable, a God who has expectations that can never be reached, is making his way known. If he makes his way known, then he knows how we're going to do it. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Oh, compassionate and gracious, grace, not, oh, hang on, this doesn't align with my image of God that maybe I've inherited from, from a family figure or a teacher or somebody influential in my past. Therefore, there is, a, there is a ticking noise within me that doesn't fit with Scripture but is actually a part of my core foundation that maybe doesn't align. Verse 12, as far as from the east is from the west and as far as he has removed our transgression for us. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord is compassionate to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows how we are formed and remembers that we're from the dust. If he formed us, he knows what our abilities are. He knows our limitations. If he made us as far as from the east and from the, rest, the west, he loves us. Maybe when we're growing up, and I am spending a lot of time talking about you know, parenting and, and parents because we know that as children from the age of zero to eight, our core moral foundation, our beliefs and our core principles are actually instilled in us by the age of eight years old. It doesn't mean that we can't learn them in the, the other years, but in those early formative years, where we are raised at the feet of the culture of our parents, that's where we inherit that DNA, that, that spiritual DNA, that, that moral, that principal fibre that, that becomes a part of us. It can be changed, yes, but it takes more time and more effort and more intentionality. And so we see in children, often our images of God are formed. And sometimes... Once again, no judgment. Just because of our lifestyle or the season of life, we start to inherit something that's unhealthy. For example, the God that abandons us, it may actually be quite innocent. Mum and dad have to pay the mortgage. We want nice things for our kids. We want a nice house. So mum and dad both work, which means that they're working all the time. That means they have to do some long hours at times and because of that, the kids are in daycare or they're, they're at after-school care or they get dropped off at, at friends or family to, to those things and they're very busy. 
maybe. You, you might have somebody in your family, a parent who's very sick or unwell, or somebody who's died. Maybe you're in a family situation where one of the, your parents is not there, your mum or your dad, for whatever reason, is not in the picture. Maybe there's been a, a breakdown of relationship or a divorce. And what happens to the child is the idea of a, a parenting figure that is no longer in the scenario. Therefore, when we pray the prayer, our Father, we place that on them. And we're afraid that God is going to abandon us. When something doesn't work out the way we expect, we, we see, 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 that didn't happen the way I expected. You've abandoned me again, God. Yet in Luke, we read this. Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 and go into the open country and, 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 and go afar and, and, and finds the lost sheep and goes and finds it? And when he finds it, his joy, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and then he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, it's the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. God does not abandon us. He searches for us. He stands at the door knocking, waiting for us. You cannot outrun God. He is looking for you all the time. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And surely I will be with you till the end of the age. These words we see time and time again in Scripture. God will not abandon you. However, sometimes unintentionally, busy parents, we get this idea of a God who, who may feel like you may feel like he's going to abandon us. He doesn't have time for us. God's too busy for me. It's so important that we get our images of God right. Because so much hinges on this. So much of our faith hinges on the way that we see God because the way that we see God will dictate the way that we interact with him and the way that we accept what he has to say. We're not even touching on this morning things like abuse and a, and a fatherly figure that was, was a, a bad figure within our lives and what that means. Or, or growing up in a religious culture where the, there was things, the theology was broken and there were things that just weren't scriptural that were taking place. Now I do want to say, if you have grown up in one of those scenarios, especially something that took place in the church, I want to say, in, in, as God's ambassador right now, I want to say sorry. I'm sorry that because of the institution that God put in place, his church, that we have caused a distortion in your image of God. I'm sorry for that. And I want to apologize on behalf of God's church. Say that is not how it's meant to be. We love you. We care for you. And there is no other agenda. There's no abuse. God is a gentleman. He will not ever force anything. There is no other hidden agenda other than love. So how do we journey in this space? How do we identify the ticking noise of our spiritual engine? Well, firstly, we need to be able to listen to it. You need to be able to listen for when there is a moment within our spiritual engine that, that there is something ticking. 
1 John 4, 5 and 6. And they are from this world, therefore they speak of this world and the world listens to them. But you are from God, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God is not listening to us. By this we will know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of, er- of error. The spirit of truth comes from God. The spirit of truth comes from God word, God's word. If you ever find yourself hearing something or reading something that, that goes different to your understanding of God, go deeper. Look into it. There is something wrong or there's something that you've read out of context or there's something that you've heard out of context that doesn't fit. I've heard time and time again, especially a bunch of young adults that are starting to wrestle from moving from inherited faith, the faith that they've inherited from their parents and their upbringing, to owning their own faith. They will say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, but I love Jesus. This Jesus is awesome, but I just don't get how this God of the Old Testament could be killing people. Hang on. The Word became flesh. It's the same God. God became human. It is God. It is one and the same. If you are seeing God in the Old Testament different to the way that Jesus lived his life, a life spent you know, spending time loving the marginalized, caring for people, healing the sick, feeding, feeding the poor, if, if that looks different to you, that is a ticking noise that there is something wrong. There is a distorted image of God. Look for the ticking noises. When somebody says a prayer, God loves you and you deflect. When, some, when you, you go to say the prayer, our Father, and there is something different about the, the understanding of this relationship between you and God, that is a ticking noise. From there, much like when I had to, to work on the engine of my car, the ticking noise didn't fix it. I could identify it, but that wasn't enough. I had to do some work. To, re- to do the spiritual work, then you've got to reflect. You have to reflect on, on what is that, where does it come from? Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed by this world, but, by the trans- but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, his good and acceptable and perfect will. That the idea of reflecting, going, well, what is truth and what is not? I've got this ticking sound. What is the thing that, that is causing that? Is it the understanding of, of my dad? Is it that understanding of, of my mom or, or that parent? Or is it that the church or this thing that I, I heard about or the way that I was saved? What was that thing that is creating a distortion? And I want to say that, that I have been blessed to have incredible godly parents for generations. And even with godly parents, if I was to take everything that they did as parents and said that's the image of God, it would still be distorted. Why? Because it's not the image of God in Scripture. It's a human. And we all have flaws. Even as a pastor, if my children look to me for the image of God, it's going to be distorted. And I hope that I'm a good dad. I do the best I can. I love my kids dearly, but I'm a bad example because I'm not God. I'm not God's Word. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's time to reflect, work out where that distortion came from. And then comes the process of renewal. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does this mean? Well, renewal means that you have to do the work. And that's tough. So I'm inviting you 
to take up the challenge. If something this morning has, has awoken something, if there is a ticking noise that you have felt through this message, I want to say these are not my words, these are the, the words that are shared through the Holy Spirit. There's there's resource books uh, in the church library for small group resources. There is tons and tons of information on this. And we believe it's timely for our church to hear this message uh, as individuals and as the group that, that we need to align our lives and our spiritual life with who God wants us to be. And to do that, we have to understand who God is himself. And so we hear the indicator that something is distorted we then reflect on where it came from, but then we have to renew. And that takes work. In two weeks' time, you'll hear a bit of that, how to start to renew, how to start to realign, how to start to, to take yourself from here to there. Sometimes, and I say this with the backing of the church because you don't do this alone, we are here to help. Sometimes there is an area of your life that has such a distortion in it that it cannot be fine-tuned. It can't be just hammered out with some scripture and some prayer. Sometimes there's an image of God that is so distorted within us that it actually has to be removed and replaced. And that is hard work. That is really hard work. But why is it worth doing? I met a guy a number of years ago at the gym, as I meet lots of people, and I heard his story, and we started chatting about uh, what his background was and where he came from. And, and I remember the first conversation I ever had with him at the gym, it was a few, about a month later, he came up and said, I've been coming to this gym for six months. You're the first person that's ever spoken to me. I remember thinking, wow, I just love everybody. I say the gym is a mission field as well as I like the gym. And one morning we, we were putting our bags in the lockers in the change room. And we're sitting down and, and he said, so, so you're a Christian, right? Yeah. So you, you preach? Yeah, yeah. We had this conversation. I said, so tell me about your faith journey. Tell me about, tell me about faith to you. He said, well, I grew up, and he named the, the denomination. And I went to a, the Holy Land. I went to Israel. I went to see where Jesus was and see what, what happened. And and I sat there on this mountain where they said Jesus sat and looked out at, at what Jesus would have looked out at and realized, hey, everything I've been told about church and faith doesn't align with this. And I've never gone to church since. I threw it all in. On a holy land tour. On a tour where he was sitting where Jesus sat, looking, you know, putting his feet in the, in the places geogra geographically where Jesus put his feet. Yet there was such a disconnect between what this denomination, what this church was saying to him and, and what they would, had instilled in him and what he saw to be real. There was such a distortion in that that it caused him to, to throw in his faith altogether. The ticking noise became so loud that it destroyed his spiritual engine. Don't let it destroy you. Do the work. It's so important. You can function for a while with a distorted image of God. But you're not running on all cylinders. I'm going to stop with the car metaphors really soon, but, but I want to say it's so important that we get this right. Because to be able to interact with God and be God's people, we have to understand who God is. 
This week, will you listen to the noise, reflect on what causes it, and then take up the challenge to renew ourselves against Scripture and through His Spirit so that we can see God the way that He deserves to be seen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that we have Your Word, the living Word of God that will show us who You are, your incredible story of reconciliation, your story of love, your story that, that we don't have to do anything, that you've done everything for us, the, the story that shows that, that you pursue us, that you stand at the door and knock, that you don't force yourself into our, our relationship. You wait for us, you love us, you care for us, you restore us, you value our time. Lord, we thank you that we see these things in Scripture. We thank you that, that we have the opportunity now to renew our lives and align our image of God with who you truly are. Lord, I pray today that those that need to hear this message will hear it through your spirit and take this challenge and this journey to take a huge step forwards in their relationship with you so they can be who you've called them to be, but they can bask in the love that you have given them through your Son. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.